do I see performing, choreographing, and directing as the same thing? No, I don't. I think that there are different skills necessary for each. I, I want to create these opportunities for skaters to perform. I want to create these opportunities for the wider skating community to come and experience new choreographic ideas, new artistic ideas on the ice. Ever since I was four years old and I started skating, it's always been my outlet of creativity. It's always been what I love to do the most. Hello and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast. Sponsored by Harlequin Floors, world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. The Theatre Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Ana Aguilera. And my name is Anna Rob. Mauro Bruni is joining us to talk about choreographing and directing ice shows. Mauro is the creator and co-founder of the Ice Theatre of London and a driving force in the professional figure skating industry. His previous U.S. national and international competitor and star performer of Holiday on Ice and numerous other touring productions for over a decade. Mauro is an international award-winning performer and choreographer, as well as an elite professional skater association's rated figure skating coach. Mauro collaborated with industry experts as director and board member of the Pro Skaters Foundation between 2014 and 2018. He's also the creator of a U.S.-based performance company, House of Morrow, a platform for contemporary skating artists to collaborate and perform. Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and uh, hope we get some good stuff out of me. <laughs> It's exciting because you're actually the second, I think, biggest uh, skater that we've had on the podcast. and I'm So really, that's great. Yeah, and um, I, I'm really interested in your perspective of sport and art and how that evolved for you personally in in your career what came first when did you get into the art side of it or you know tell us a little bit about your story well of course yeah so um i think i started out pretty normally as skaters usually do we i was put into competition as a young a young age i trained and was competing until i graduated from university i wanted to go to the olympics uh, but that didn't happen And um, once I was done with the college, I was not ready to give up on skating. Um, I still loved it so much. I was always better at the artistic side of the sport than the technical side. And one of my coaches at the time was or told me that I should possibly get into doing traveling shows. And I had never even heard about it before. I never heard that there was this other facet to figure skating that I could go into that didn't involve competition and only involved performance. And so I got in touch with a company like that you mentioned, Holiday on Ice was the first time I performed, first company I performed for, and they were based in Holland. And I went over and I got the job. I, I performed there for a year. I fell in love with performance figure skating. And that was pretty much the end of the story. I <laughs> performed for another like 13 years straight until now. So it's not really the end of the story. The story. No, of course it's not. Of course it's not the end of the story. That's the end of like. Um, that's the end of what uh, what I fell in love with with the sport. The story continues, and I've uh, after 13 years of performing, I went back to school to get an MBA at Imperial College in London, 
Um, I decided to do that because I had started a company of my own for performers here in New, in New York uh, called The House of Morrow, which you also mentioned. And during the MBA, I started another company over in the UK called The Ice Theater of London, which brings us to now. And so I am remotely running The Ice Theater of London while still while coaching here in the States and still performing at times and figuring out how I can build another show with House of Morrow during this wild pandemic restriction era. And yeah. What was it like pursuing an MBA after so many years of performance and going back into study? And what was your motivation to, was it, I'm, I want to start a company and I need to understand business better? What was your desire to do that? Well, my desire to do the MBA, yes, was exactly to understand business better, understand how to run a company more efficiently. Um, I had started my own company, like I said, House of Morrow, about a year before I went to do an MBA. And luckily I had, I mean, my, my father is a businessman. He owns his own business. And so he was able to sort of uh, coach me through the process. And because I'd been around performances for so many years, um, I sort of knew the process. I knew what to expect. Like as the, I was pretty much had every hat on. I was the producer. I was the director. I was a choreographer. I performed a little bit. And so I sort of knew how to make the show happen. but. I needed some coaching into how to make the rest of it happen, how to make the you know business side of it happen, how to do all the marketing and the advertising and um, bring it all together. And so I decided to do an MBA to just better understand business. I, I also wanted to look into different industries, get a taste of other cultures at the same time. That was my thinking. How do you know when it was time to start the MBA and say, like, this is good timing? I'm ready for this. I wish I could say that there was actually one moment that I was like, yes, I'm definitely ready. But, you know, it was it was really scary. You know, I had been performing for 13 years on the road. And that's pretty much, you know, what I loved, what I knew how to do, how I knew how to live. But I knew that I wanted to go back to school. I always knew I wanted to go back to school for a master's. Doing an MBA was sort of later on a decision. but I just threw myself into it. You know, I knew it was going to be interesting. I knew it was going to be a different lifestyle for a year. And I didn't, I didn't know what else to expect other than that. I was pleasantly surprised that most of my classmates were basically in the same position. They were, you know, taking a leap of faith by going in and getting another degree after many years of in, being in the workforce in different industries. And so we all sort of bonded. It was a great group. And, you know, we all helped each other. We all got through it together. It was a weird year, obviously. I did six months of the MBA in person and then six months virtually because of the pandemic. And so, um, you know, we had a very interesting experience that I would not wish on anyone else, but we got through it and it was unforgettable. Amazing. You mentioned earlier that you, back when you were doing competitions, it was clear to you that you were better at the artistic side versus technical side. And then you've obviously gone through an evolution of being performance to choreographing to directing things. And, and I'm fascinated about the, the, you know, those transitions and when you felt you were ready to take that on? Did it come naturally to you? Was it a natural evolution? Did you say, okay, I'm going to try this? Because a lot of people, performers go, okay, I'm a performer. And there's not that many people that then become choreographers, directors, coaches, that sort of thing. You know, the, 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 the pool gets very smaller very quickly after that. 
and it takes it, a does, certain, yeah. it takes a certain type of person to transition into those roles. So what was that like for you and um, what made you believe, have the belief in yourself that that was the path that you were trying to uh, achieve? I think that it did come quite naturally to me. Um, I've always been a creative person. I have a, you know, an arts degree from undergrad. When I got involved with performing, I was always interested in, you know, the costuming and the choreography and the lighting and how it all gets put together and how you can create something new. And I, even from the first year I was on the shows, I was asking, you know, what goes into programming the lights so that they go at the same time as the music and you know that stage set comes in and out and all of that and you know when I when I was younger and I was competing I always liked to be on the creative side of all of my routines that I competed with I helped choreograph them I helped make the car um, design the costumes and all that and so when the rules were lifted in performance when I was not no longer competing my imagination just started going wild. And so it was very natural for me to go from performer into choreographer. Um, I was also doing choreography for young skaters. I was also working as um, a choreographer at home when I was not performing. It sort of just took on a life of its own. I started to choreograph more and more. I started to get people ask me to help them with their own you know, work and their own choreographies and different things. And then after so many years of doing little projects, little, you know, hobby type work and then other, other things, I started to just understand better how to put these performances together as a whole and how to string different choreographies together and how to manage a group to get them to learn a certain choreography efficiently. And so, and then of course, you know, I, I learned a lot from different directors and different other choreographers that I worked with on these shows, uh, just seeing them work, seeing how they interact with the group, how they interact with directors, how they interact with producers, you know, um, because choreography is very collaborative in nature, especially on the shows, you know, you're always trying to make the directors above you happy while also making the performers happy beneath you and um, bringing out the best in both worlds. And that's something I definitely learned a lot from, seeing um, these other people work around me and so really like like i'm saying you know my pathway to becoming a choreographer and director was sort of incremental but came really naturally and then when i decided to take a leap and open my own company and put on my own show it wasn't you know that big of a stretch it was a bigger stretch because there was a lot more workload putting on myself than it was just being a performer or just being a choreographer but um, it was something that was a welcome challenge and do you reach out for help or do you see being a performer a director and a choreographer as very different things or do you see them as a whole and then you interact with the people around you as you were mentioning how do you make it work how do you make it well that's i mean there's many different answers <laughs> to that do i see performing choreographing and directing is the same thing no i don't i think that there are different skills necessary for each i think that as a director it is very helpful if you have already been a performer and a choreographer so that you know exactly what goes into those roles and what um 
the people that are hired for these roles are up against or just, you know, what they have to do, what their expectations are. I, I don't think that every performer wants to be a choreographer or a director, like we said. And, and like I said, it, you know, there are different skills to each. As a, as a director, you've, you've worked in projects in Europe and also North America. Is, yeah. there, is there a difference in um, audiences and, and what would be those differences? Do you change your approach because of the country that you're in? What's that like culturally? I do not change my approach determining um, to what country I'm in. I would change my approach if there were different expectations from the director, from the you know producers. But as an artist, I do not. What I do see different about audiences in North America versus audiences in Europe is I think that the European audiences really appreciate the art of figure skating. And I think that the North American audiences appreciate the sport and the technique, the technique behind figure skating. So like, I think that in the United States, um, especially because I just know the United States very well, the big jumps are, are huge. The audience loves big jumps. They love the backflips. They love the really fast spins, you know, lots of speed around the ice. Of course they love the, the pair teams doing big throws and big lifts and stuff. And that's all good, of course, in Europe as well. That's something that we always have to have to have in the, in the skating shows to show a big vocabulary and a range out of all the performers. But I think that an audience in Europe will be more open to the art of it, the, the creativity and the beauty behind movement on ice. How would you describe your creative process when you're putting together a show? My creative process is never ending. Um, I literally am creating all the time. I'm always having ideas in the car while I'm walking down the street, like listening to random music. So I'm thinking about doing another show with the House of Morrow next year, next um, spring slash summer. And I'm already thinking about numbers. I'm already thinking about what I want in the show, what like the themes are and what the storyline will be if there was, is a storyline. And I like to have those kinds of creative ideas set, um, or at least many of them set before I start to ask skaters to come be a part of it. And of course, before I ask skaters to come be a part of it, I have to like get the rinks on board and I have to um, make sure that it's, you know, financially feasible. And so like, it just, th there's this ongoing process and, you know, what, what you see actually at the end of it all, when you come to see the show, the whatever one hour, two hours of skating that you're going to see, that's the easiest part. <laughs> Because all the hard stuff is done like months and months beforehand. And that's really the hard part is to like put it all together and get all your thoughts collected and then go through rehearsals with the, the cast and let these magic moments happen and incorporate them into the show somehow. You know, it's, it's always, it's nice, like I said, to have ideas and choreography planned out beforehand, but you can't have everything planned because then it just looks too planned. And sometimes, you know, You have to be flexible and these um, moments just occur when the skaters all come together and the, the artists all come together as one. That's cool. Do you, tell us a little bit more about 
you know, in terms of the House of Moro, how do you find your skating artists? Do they know about you? Do you go out to find them? You mentioned hooking up with rinks and stuff. Where do these shows perform? And then and what kind of shows are actually, are they short runs? Are they long runs? What sort of shows are happening in, in the States? Well, okay, so this is this is a long there's a, there's a lot to go into this. Yes, that was um, that so, was not a small question. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a small question. Um, so I want to start at the beginning. The House of Morrow, I started because I wanted to promote the vast talents of peers in my industry that I feel do not get promoted as much as they should be. Sort of like unsung talent within the industry. And so when I put together a show, what skaters do I choose? I like to choose, obviously, I know a lot of performers. I have a vast network and a lot of performers know me as well. And well, I have to, I have to choose people that are financially able to come here and I'm able to host them. But I'm also looking for people who I believe are really talented or they have a really interesting facet to their skating or they want to bring something new that they haven't had the opportunity to do before. I do this a lot also for performers that want to be choreographers for professional skaters. There's not a lot of jobs in this industry for people to move up into those positions. And so I wanted to create a company that would provide employment and provide opportunities for these um, wonderful artists to come and collaborate and perform and, um, and be in a professional setting. That being said, um, you also asked me where my shows perform and they're at um, ice rinks, ice rinks in the Connecticut area, um, because that's where I live and that's where I grew up. And that's where I have most of my connections with these specific ice rinks. Of course, it, you know, in every kind of business, it helps if you've got the network and I utilize my network to put on shows. We will always be doing short runs, at least for the time being. I'd love it if we could do long runs. I'd love to put on tours of you know all of america and uh, cater to the different pockets of figure skaters around the country and be able to showcase everyone in this industry but it's just not i mean that's a pipe dream isn't it <laughs> um, but for the for the time being we're a small show we're a small company and um i cater as much to the skaters as i can because i know that they're the ones that get the most out of it that's cool. So how do you describe it against uh, Ice Theatre of London? How is it different? Or how is it the same? Well, the Ice Theatre of London is is different. And we can, we can go over the whole you know story of the Ice Theatre of London. But the Ice Theatre of London is more of a community space for all professional and performance figure skaters and everyone who enjoys that type of figure skating. You know, as the House of Morrow is literally for the professionals to come in and perform and showcase their talents, Ice Theatre of London is for everyone. And it's to provide entertainment, to provide opportunities, to provide education for everyone in the skating community in the UK. And to also promote performance figure skating to the general, the general public. Out of interest, because, you know, it's something that I've come across recently in, in my network. Have you ever heard of the... The product Glyce that's not ice. Yes, yes, of Have course. Have you skated on it? Tell us, as a pro skater, what's I, it like? As a pro skater, okay, I, I will say that Glyce is helpful because 
having natural ice is not always possible. And so there are lots of ways you can skate and ways you can perform and just things you can do um, to put ice into venues that would not normally be able to hold, you know, a real sheet of ice. And so glyce is great for that. It really is. Um, myself, as a professional figure skater, I am not the biggest fan of glyce. I like to perform on real ice. There's something that's lost between or when you go from real ice to glyce uh, because there's more friction. I mean, you're skating on a plastic surface that's covered in, I don't know what it is, it's covered in. Is it harder to skate on? It's, mu- it's much harder, yeah. You have to push harder and you don't get the glide. You, you sort of stop quick, mm. quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some skaters, some peers of mine, who actually are absolutely incredible on glyce and you'd almost not tell you couldn't tell the difference between real ice and glyce, but that's very few and far between. Mm. And um, it's not my favorite thing to skate on. <laughs> I'm fascinated though by like like the fact that it's, it made, makes it more accessible because, like you said, as you know, I yeah. once many years ago worked on the uh, Russian ice circus in Australia, and oh, I was okay. astounded at the the setup and how long it took just to get this bloody ice rink in the entertainment mm-hmm. center oh, and then once the ice rink's done because it's got to get frozen and the thing and all the things that you, gotta, go underneath, you gotta chop like, it all up and take it out <laughs> i had never seen that come together before in my life and i was like just from a time and cost perspective because you know like if you're hiring an entertainment center then that's time is money right so Absolutely. uh yeah it's just fascinating to see the, the People don't really appreciate how much work it goes into actually setting up an ice rink. I mean, if one's an established ice rink and it's sitting there, that's one thing. But to make one in a space, wow, it's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I watched um, when I was on tour. Uh, I watched Holiday on Ice go in and make ice rinks pretty much every time we moved cities in Europe, and they would book the venues four days in advance, whatever it is, three days in advance, because they have to get in and they have to set up the sides of the ice and set up all the pipes and put, you know, turn on the antifreeze and then put the sand and then put the water and wait for the water to freeze and, you know, keep putting more water on to make it, make it thick enough. And that takes days. Whereas, you know, if you want to, we were talking about glyce, if you want to put in a, um, a sheet of plastic ice, off you go. I don't know, yeah. a few hours. If, yeah. you, if you got a big team together, you can just like punch it all together. It's kind of like Legos. It's like building and, a stage, there it right? Is. You're building a stage yeah. and, and that's it and it's done. And I and I think also just from a living in a very hot climate, the idea of glass mm-hmm. is also something that's interesting to me because you just like, maybe this is, makes it more accessible to certain um, parts of the world that don't. It does. You know, it absolutely the, makes Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure most of the pro skaters yeah. come from the Northern Hemisphere where it's super cold. <laughs> Well, you know, it absolutely makes it more accessible. And if I'm making, if I'm making, um, I don't know, if, I, if I'm making life sound bad, I don't mean to, because it does like really make ice shows accessible for anywhere in the world, because now anything can be a venue for ice skating because of glyce. But no, it's interesting to hear from a pro because I, I think that from a pro's perspective, who's been on it? Because that's what I've been waiting to find somebody who's who's a pro skater. Here I am. So, sorry, I t- I'm hijacking the podcast, but I'm <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> oh, sorry, I have been to part of some shows. I was just going to say that um, that will have maybe like a little stage area that is glyce, and then 
below the stage in sort of like the thrust area is real ice. And so um, sometimes like certain things, some staging elements will happen on the, gr- on the glyce, but then the real sort of performance elements will happen Ooh, on the real like ice. like a hybrid. That's cool. Yeah. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. I was just going to note on the on the technical side, because if you put glass on the bottom of your set pieces, then you can have them glide without getting stuck in the ice. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, but also maintaining the room temperature, because then the performers, if it's too wet or it's too hard or get holes in the ice, and then you have to resurface it and... Yeah, it's, it's, it's an endeavor. Yeah. Well, you know, that those are better questions for like an ice technician. No, this is <laughs> um, why I'm telling her this. Yeah. <laughs> like from, and Anna's got technician. She's going to go out and do all lots of research on ice now. So she can yeah. <laughs> but, well, I actually worked but, on ice shows. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, and as skaters, we are um, sensitive to the quality of the ice. Mm. I can totally imagine that. What tell us about the your journey through the pandemic and I mean you said you mentioned that you were doing your MBA and so that was part of what happened during the pandemic for you. But what what's what's the path now for your work and and the, and and House of Morrow and everything and what's it looking like in the next 12 months is are things coming back? There's a long and the short answer to this. <laughs> um yes, I think things are coming back obviously. Broadway is opening up. The West End in London has opened up. Ice Theatre of London has been doing some um, in-person events now since uh, UK lifted COVID restrictions and mask mandates. House of Morrow, I've been wanting to do another show with uh, this company here in America for months now. But um, there are still certain restrictions here in America and especially in Connecticut that prevent me from doing so and so there's like restrictions on the amount of people that can be in a venue and you know the amount of people that you can have on the ice at one time and so i'm hoping that within the next six seven months things are going to ease even more and um we'll be able to do something with house tomorrow but i mean the the trajectory through the pandemic was you know i i started the ice theater of london right before the pandemic started it was like February 2020, and <laughs> we founded the Ice City of London, and we had all these huge goals, what we wanted to do. We wanted to put on performances. We wanted to put on classes, all of that, and all of that got put on, on pause, on hold, um, postponed, because the next month, we all went into lockdown, 
And so, you know, we, we did our best to pivot and to offer other kinds of opportunities to the skating community in England, like getting involved over social media, like sending in videos, like joining a, um, a remote edge class. And this is like an educational opportunity on the ice for skaters, which, is, you know, we thrive on in a group, which was very interesting to do remote, you know, virtually. Um, and I've, none of us have experienced that before. And so it was just it was a complete learning curve for everyone, in, as in every industry. But, you know, we persevered and um, we kept the Ice Theater of London alive, um, hobbled along. We put on virtual off-ice classes throughout all of last fall, winter, and spring. And like I said, once, you know, COVID restrictions in the UK opened up, we, we opened up with it. So it's uh, the future for Ice Theatre of London. What's the future for Ice Theatre of London? Well, stay tuned. We'll see. Who knows? <laughs> I, I would love the Ice Theatre of London to become a performance outlet for figure skaters in the UK. There's nothing like it there, um, and which is why we started it. You know, it, it's probably a weird thing to hear. Here I am. I'm American. I'm from New York. I'm living in New York. Uh, but I started the Ice Theater of London over in the UK. Um, and that was because when I went over to the UK for the MBA, um, I wanted to get involved with an ice theater company that was in town. I, I took it for granted that there would be a performance company that I could just get involved with and and skate and perform. And I found out that there was really nothing available. And so we, I thought that was so sad. And I had some really great friends of mine that were in the town at the same time. And we decided, okay, we're going to start, we're going to start this together. You know, we're going to take things into our own hands and start it. And uh, yeah, so I, I want to create these opportunities for skaters to perform. I want to create these opportunities for the wider skating community to come and experience new choreographic ideas, new artistic ideas on the ice. I want to provide opportunities for collaborations. You know, London is such a, performing arts oriented city that there should be some contemporary ice skating company based in London. Like you've got Sadler's Wells theater who has all like all this amazing work. Uh, you've got the Royal Opera House, you've got, you know, English national ballet. And of course, all of the West end uh, figure skating would just fit right in. And so we're hoping to concoct that. <laughs> I think it's a great mission. And also, you know, cause it's interesting to me, I think, you can tell me how long is a sort of professional figure skater's career like from when they start to and when does it sort of peter off and is there always the goal to be an olympic skater and is there other pathways for an actual career in 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 skating and then how many sort of pivot off into skating for performance and stuff do you, mm. you know like like i said in the in the beginning most skaters get involved with competition skating from the beginning. Like, you know, figure skating, especially here in the United States, I guess I can't, I can't speak for any other country because obviously I grew up in the United States. I, this is where I engaged with figure skating as a young boy. For me, I was never, I was never told or taught that there was another, another option to go into performance figure skating. You always had to compete. It was like, this is how you get to the top of the sport. And when you're done competing, 
that was pretty much it. You go, you're, you can be a coach if you want to. Um, but that was it. I only found out about performance figure skating very late in my career. And um, so glad that I did. I don't think that the majority of skaters go into the shows like I did. I think they're the vast majority either drop out during competition or just stop at the end, you know, when, when they, their career is over. You know, how long was their trajectory in, in professional skating? Mm-hmm. When does that end? And um, mm-hmm. then how many just sort of do switch to performance or discover that? Well, you know, I think that the mass, the vast majority of skaters do not uh, do not get involved in performance ice skating. They don't go into the shows um, like I did, and I, I mean, I think that's sad. And you know, you asked what the trajectory of skaters or what the longevity is for um, figure skaters, and it's it's different person to person. It really is. And nowadays, we see, especially in competition skating, if you watch the Olympics and you watch the World Championships. Uh, especially the girls have gotten very young. Not many of them really continue, or I, I, I really continue in the public eye as skaters or performers past maybe 20, 20 years old. Wow. So it's like um, gymnasts, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite comparable to the longevity of a gymnast. I was, I'm very, I'm like a very fortunate case. Um, that I I got involved in professional skating and I still loved it and I was still able to you know, my my body was still able to do what I needed to do for many years and I'm 37 years old now and I still am able to you know perform in the way that I need to to work for these companies I don't do the incredibly difficult moves that you'll see in the Olympics that really takes <laughs> a younger body to do like I said, you know, it's, it's person to person, but predominantly I think men keep it up until their mid thirties or can you, I mean, I usually see women that end up stopping in their mid twenties, maybe late twenties as performers. Is there a specific reason or trend or is it just a thing? You mean to just when we stop performing or when to yes, like especially wind for down women the being so young compared to to men no it's 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 all different you know and i and I don't even say that as a rule you know as like women in mid twenties to late twenties like i I have some wonderful um women friends who are in their thirties still performing and performing absolutely wonderfully it's all over the map. Yeah, but they but they move into well, you just mentioned they move into more performance rather than competitive sort of skating that you know goes to the Olympics, yeah, the World Championships. Yeah. Usually, usually the performers are a little bit older than the competitors. Yeah, yeah, and it's the same with the like people in a gymnastic career, right? So I, I find there's kind of many parallels in that people will do an Olympic or close to an Olympic career and then finish, and their their option is to ditch the sport altogether, go into coaching or whatever, or go into things like Cirque du Soleil and, and um, become a generalist house troupe or whatever, depending on what their particular skill set is and stuff like that. It's really interesting because I feel like it, the arts provides a more long, you know, a longer career for something that they may love to do rather than the sport itself. Absolutely. I agree. 
and it's um and I just love I mean your mission to do that in in London is amazing and so and and how did that like I mean are people joining it are people sort of com- coming out of the woodwork and 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 jumping on the ice how's that working yeah, people have sort of come out of the woodwork, you know, um, because like I said, I have a very extensive network of professional skaters all over the world. And so do my colleagues who started the Ice of London with me. And when like sort of word traveled that we were starting this company and it was us and we were doing it for the right reasons. We had a lot of friends who helped promote us, who wanted to be a part of it. The first thing that we did, the first um, live event that we were able to host right after the pandemic restrictions were lifted in the UK, we made sure that we catered to our main audience. And so what we did was we invited all of the professional figure skaters that have skated for different companies like Holiday on Ice Disney on Ice, Willie Vitak Productions, Hot Ice, what have you. We invited them all to come as a big reunion uh, under the Ice Theater of London umbrella and put on an edge class that was hosted by the 1980 Olympic champion, who's also British. His name is Robin Cousins. And it was just this like really special event because nobody had really seen each other for a year. <laughs> you know, everybody was quarantined for so long, um, especially in England. They had such a long quarantine and then back into lockdown. Um, so everybody was just so happy and it was just such a lively bunch, an energetic bunch. And that one, that was really, it, it was, it was a really pleasant surprise to have so much engagement so quickly. And I think that because of that, because of that specific class, because of other things that we've done, you know, we've sort of garnered a lot of attention in the British skating community, which is wonderful. And I hope that we can, you know, inspire kids to understand that there is this other facet to skating where you can go and you can perform and you can make a career out of this and you can really enjoy the creativity behind figure skating as well as competitive. Do you think you got any lessons from the pandemic to apply to uh, <laughs> your professional endeavors? So I knew I knew you were going to ask me this, obviously, because you showed you <laughs> sent me the list of questions, and so I thought of one, and um, I I definitely learned that a whole lot more can be done remotely that will save time later on than we ever thought possible, especially in a performance situation. Because, you know, as a performer, we always come together for rehearsals and we do all of our rehearsing together as a group. And we like to sometimes let it organically happen. We like to get to know each other really, you know, well as we're skating together. And um, that's been really like, most of the shows that I've been a part of myself as a skater has been that way. You know, everybody comes together for rehearsals at the same time and we're all there together for a set amount of time. Well, you know, during the pandemic, everybody was remote for doing everything. And so we had to figure out a way to, you know, pivot and to accommodate what we needed to do virtually. And this all really came together because I produced 
this show in New Jersey uh, last this past winter um, for a group of professionals. And we only had two days on the ice to rehearse. We didn't have a lot of time altogether. And we couldn't go to the um, the actual venue where we were going to perform to rehearse before the day of because we just weren't allowed to. And so what I was able to do was really, <laughs> really plan out everything, plan out all the choreography. I knew exactly who was going to be in what position all beforehand. I even made videos of the choreography in different people's positions on the ice uh, to send them so that they could learn without coming to rehearsals <laughs> and they could just learn by themselves. And I'm just, I, I tell them, you know, don't worry, there's going to be one person next to you that's not in the video. Um, but when we all put it together, there's going to be somebody there. And we were able to come together for, I think it was one hour, one day, one hour the next day. And then we performed it like the third day. And um, luckily, I had a group of really great professionals who were really on board, really willing to do it a little differently, easy learners. And we got it done. And it was like a really, really great performance. And, that, you know, I, I could have never done that, I don't think, in, unless I had experienced this. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is, um, you know, post-pandemic, the point where you go from ideation to reality and do we move that ideation phase to be remote for a little bit longer? Because from a cost perspective, if, if you're not bringing people together at such an early phase, you're going to save a lot of money, right? So I'm fascinated to see, especially working on global events, when when do we actually come together and, and when's, when does it make sense now? What you made sense before the pandemic is probably different than how we think about it now because I think, like you said, a lot can be done virtually if everybody commits. All in all, it's been an amazing conversation. I kind of want to know from you, what's your favourite thing about the job that you do, about your career in skating and performance? My favourite thing about being involved in figure skating performance is just because I get to be on the ice all the time. Um, that's, you know, the one thing I've loved to do ever since I was four years old and I started skating. It's always been my outlet of creativity. It's always been what I love to do the most. I, you know, I have so many, I respect so many people for what they do in this industry. You know, I have so many friends that are in this industry as well and that just love what they do. And, you know, getting to skate together as a group and god i just i just love being around the people and being on the ice on the ice with them and it seems to me that you're doing the answer to this question but if you could change anything about how the industry works or how, about your specific job what would you change yeah you're right i'm trying to do i'm trying to make it happen what i think is wrong with it i think that um there should be more opportunities for um, advancement within the industry for performers who want to move up. That's amazing. Um, Mauro, you've been uh, an inspiration to us this morning here in my morning in Hong Kong. Thank you so much for joining us on the Theatre Out Life podcast. And we really wish you all the best for your American business and your uh, UK business um, and, and the future of uh, all the things you're doing with uh, ice skating. It's wonderful work. Thank you so much. You know, it's been really wonderful talking with you both. 
Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast. I'm really, really honored and glad to share my story. And hopefully this will um, garner some more engagement from others who want to know a little bit more about skating and want to come and watch our shows. Amazing. Glad we found you. They can (laughs) check out your website. So to know when, when you're having shows and come see the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can check the House of Morrow website. That's just houseofmorrow.com. You can check the Ice Theater of London website, which is icetheateroflondon.com. Or you could just check me out at morrowbruni.com. You can see all my performance staff, which is good. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.